What's up, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in to week two of the special Black History Month edition of Tackle the Text. In case you missed last week, I'm Erica Simon. I'm an anchor reporter at ABC here in Houston. I'm so honored to be here to have another amazing conversation and dialogue. And with February being Black History Month, of course, we thought it would be fitting to have this as our backdrop. We're talking about the Houston Museum of African American Culture. Of course, we have senior pastor Keon Henderson, a very good friend of mine, Adria McKnight. She's an attorney. We have the Director of Ministries at Lighthouse, Ms. Tanya Randall, and Clarence Singleton, who's worked with the Singles Ministries and other ministries. So we wanted to kind of open this dialogue with a number of people. We've been talking about justice and the virtue of justice and what that term means. It depends who you ask, right? I think it means different things to different people. So we're gonna kind of lay the groundwork and foundation of that term with Pastor Henderson. So I gotta go first? Yes, okay. I'm sorry. Right. Uh, you know, it's, it's your honor, it's your church. Um, so to you, like, what does, what does justice mean? What does that look like? Uh, you know, I think we discussed it in week one. Um, I think that justice is difficult to define. I think it should be easier to distribute. Um, I, on one occasion, saw 33 different versions of it. I think at the genesis of it, Justice is making sure that all people get what's fair, equitable, and right, right? Just, just get what's coming to you. So if it's fair, uh, equitable, and it is right, and I think it has to be in season, right? That, that, that justice needs to be applied specifically when injustices are occurring. And, and I think that this is a, a apropos time to do it, and I think this is a worthy discussion for it. So that's, that's really my definition of it. And we talked about it in week one as well, a definition that's kind of gone through the centuries and the decades is giving people what's owed to them. Yeah. Like simple as that, right? Just doing the right thing and giving people what's owed to them. So Adria, I want to talk to you since of course you're in the courtroom every single day. I mean, nowadays, of course, it's virtual because of COVID-19, but you know, the term justice, <laughs> like I said, it means different things to different people. And to you, it, it almost is probably funny sometimes because you see the opposite. You see so much injustice that the term justice is, is, you know, has a different meaning probably. Talk a little bit about what you see in the courtroom and the inequities with justice and injustice. So I think it's important to discuss like the perception of justice, right? When we go to the courtrooms, we want it to look just, we want it to look fair, we want it to be that everyone is being treated fairly. Right? Everyone has a fair shake at getting a fair result. But in reality, it's often not that way. Um, it depends on who you are. Honestly, it depends on how much money you have. Sometimes it depends on, obviously, what color you are. It depends on how the judges look. It depends on how the prosecutors look. So the perception of justice is often not there, right? But it's our job, especially me as a criminal defense attorney, to make sure that my clients get their fair shake. So my job is to hold everyone accountable and make sure that they're doing their job and to make sure that my clients are being treated fairly. So the perception of justice is, is very different. 
but it's important that people believe that they can get a fair shake. Always having that optimism, right? But how do you feel when you see that people don't get the fair shake? Because you see it, we've talked about it many times, and you're like, it, it depends on the scenario, it depends on the circumstances. You see the different sentences handed down. Right, I do see it every day. And I think when we are put in a position of privilege, it's our responsibility to call it out when we see it. And so I make it my business, honestly. I compare results from my white clients versus my black clients versus my young clients versus my older clients versus my educated clients versus my clients who you know, may not have had the opportunity to go to school. And I call them out. And so of course it makes me upset but knowing that the courtroom is changing, right? When I first started practicing law, it looks much different than now. There's black judges, there's black prosecutors, there's black attorneys. I mean, the courtrooms are changing. And I think when people see that perception that, wow, this judge looks like me, maybe they'll understand my story. It gives them hope. So I always try to stay, stay optimistic because if I'm your lawyer, I can't go in saying, you know, all the odds are against us. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck. You know, I, mean, <laughs> I have to go in with an attitude like I'm going to get what is owed to us. I'm going to make sure that you get a zealous representation. I'm going to make sure that you feel comfortable, that you trust me, and that you know that ultimately I am there for you. And so I think with those attitudes and as the courtroom change and as we see elected officials who look like us, it really does give me hope, you know, that my clients will get a, a fair chance and that, you know, the judges will make sure that they get a fair shake and a fair trial. I mean, that's all that we can really ask for. And sometimes it's not just about black judges or black prosecutors, you know, it's about having people who have experience, life experience and empathy and compassion. And sometimes that's in white, sometimes it's Hispanic, sometimes it's black, but when it's there, that's when the system works. That's good. Yeah, Pastor Cannon and I talked about that in week one a lot, just the importance of empathy and compassion and how that really helps kind of lead your decision making for sure. Well, Miss Tania, you obviously work with a, a number of people, different types of people, all kinds of ministries at the church. You see people struggling and just doing the best they can to make it and people who may not feel like they have you know, justice and equality on their side, whether it's education, whether it's housing, whatever that looks like. Talk a little bit about your perspective and what you see in terms of justice or lack thereof. So yeah, I do get to come in contact with many people, not just from the people that are already connected to the church, but the community. And being a part of the uh, church in that way, you get to see their view of uh, different, because the church is the source of help. It's the resource to say, I need, this is happening. Whether it's, hey, my son went to jail, uh, or my daughter that got in trouble, from community service to, hey, I, they gotta go to court. I need pastor to pray, but also don't know what to do. But sometimes that first injustice, from my standpoint, can start with us. Like the injustice of our lack of knowledge. And that takes a different thing. Like it just becomes like, hey, there's an injustice just on us knowing the basics or the simple. We know that this has been unfair. It's been unfair from day one. When you think about, we talk about we're in black history. Just this city, this state alone, the injustice of not knowing we were free, you know, 
This, and then you talk about the injustice of, okay, we're free. Then we start uh, Freemantown. We say, hey, we got this. We come out of this. Remember, many people stayed with the sharecroppers. They stayed slaves. But some came out and became, uh, and started Freemantown and said, we got this. We're going to start our own thing. But then the injustice of Jim Crow. So that it's always been there. So where our injustice sometimes of the knowledge of people who come in needing that help is not realizing that it's there. You know, when you, pastor's been seeing this statement for probably the last two or three weeks, a man is born to a woman, his days are short and trouble. God has laid out that trouble is gonna la be in this world, uh, injustice, but it's the heart of man to help us kind of get through that. And for ministry, it's our compassion to say, okay, I'll walk along with you, but the injustice sometimes kind of be starts with us in a place of, not uh, the fear of wanting to know the knowledge, the time it takes to get knowledge, just on what do I do when I go to court? You know, how do I even call a lawyer? And I've seen many times, you know, just with family members where I'm sitting in court and I'm waiting for them to, to come to be arraigned. And I'll sit, I've sat in court one time and watch people come and just show up. And I remember a judge just having compassion on a young girl saying, hey, um, she, was, she got caught working at Walmart and stole some money, but she didn't realize the value of the money is now a felony. It was like $25 over what could have been left, but she didn't realize the value and her aunt was with her. And she was like, hey, I was just her ride. And the judge say, I will not let you go before me because you're gonna ruin your life. Go get a lawyer. So sometimes that injustice, when I find that, when we get to see whether it's people coming in for that help and knowledge, because they start sometimes with the church, is that it can start with us just kind of that, that lack of knowledge or knowing how to go get it so that you can fight a system that has been from the earth to be injustice, biblically, as we've come to grow in our own place, it's an injustice. So it's there. Let's learn about how to go fair and, and fight a, a, a fight that's not meant to be fair. And that's so true. There's so many, especially young people who, you know, they get into the street life or they, they get ready to be in the penal system for years and years. And they have no idea, you know, the felony consequences. Or this, I mean, people literally have no idea, right? You they see that. No they don't even know the next steps of what to do. Thankfully, y'all help them with stuff like that. Y'all are, are there to, to stand right. in the gap with them. Right, and provide resources just and say, hey, here we start. You know, we know that prayer is a, the base to say, hey, we know God got you, but there's also the legal system that you got to get on the other side of it. It's not just you, you surrender it to God, but you have to have some knowledge of this world that is meant to, to get us through the injustice that is out there. Amen. You can have both. Um, Clarence, talk a little bit about your perspective and, and what you see. Obviously, you know, working with singles, you know, that's a different perspective, right? When you just kind of walking in your own lane, you know, you hear people and see people who are, you know, they're thinking about themselves and just the decision making for their lives. But talk about, you know, justice and how you see it. I think um, the biggest thing with dealing with singles and talking about the whole perspective of relationships is that a lot of times we collide because we feel that there's no justice in relationships. So a lot of times people will feel um, entitled to certain things. Some people, they become more selfish over their experiences and, and, and some people just like uh, Ms. Tanya uh, mentioned, just don't have the knowledge. And so I try to elaborate, elaborately try to uh, 
educate, in a sense, our people on justice, even in relationships, what's fair to somebody, even what's fair to yourself as an individual. Uh, before I try to hold somebody else accountable, let me hold myself accountable. And let's take ownership of maybe the trauma that we suffered growing up and, and be educated on that. And let's try to get rid of that toxic behavior and, and so we won't actually infect the next person. And I don't think that it's uh, justice to a next person to actually take my past experiences, the negative ones, and actually, you know, bring that to a new relationship. Mm, that's a perspective I never thought of. You can be unjust to somebody, whether it's your next relationship or a friend or whoever, if you don't deal with all that mess and all them cobwebs, right? Absolutely. Mm. Um, Pastor, why is it so important for all of us to actively pursue justice? Not just say like, oh, I've heard the term, I've watched legal movies, but why should we all be actively pursuing justice? Now, I think it's a combination of what Tanya and, and everybody's been saying. You know, she talked about knowledge. Well, the scripture backed it up. The Bible says, my people perish for a lack of knowledge, right? So, so there's a knowledge gap, and uh, we close that. Then there's the economic gap, and we've got to close that. Because it's, there, there'll never be calm when you have disparaging differentiations between people, groups, sex, neighborhoods. Um, somebody's always going to be fighting to get up. And the people who are up are going to fight to keep from being brought down. Dr. Antipas Harris said in his book, Is Christianity the White Man's Religion? He said, to be African-American in America is to be African with no memory and American with no privilege. Mm. That, that's the genesis of the discussion. And so then we have these arguments of convenience uh, justice is only a problem for the privileged. Justice is only a problem for people who have to lose some of their equity mm -hmm. to share it with those who don't have any. And, and it, it's, it's the argument between the Bernie Sanders and the, the ones that are all the way left and the centrist. It's, it's the argument between an Elizabeth Warren and, say, a Ted Cruz. It's, it's the reason why. And I don't think, personally, that America is actually, as a whole, interested in solving the problem. There is never any money in the problem being solved. I, they treat cancer. I, I sincerely believe that there are some cancers that could be cured, but there's no money in the cure, only in the treatment. Mm -hmm. So as long as there's a problem, then everybody can uh, become CEOs of nonprofits and uh, and be philanthropic because there is money in disorder. And since we are in a capitalistic system, there are issues like justice um, that will never be solved because if justice is achieved and crime is gone, and, and then, then guess what? N now you don't have any money uh, for opioids and drugs, and then, then you've got the penal system, and, and now prisons are privatized. Don't tell me it's not about profit. So what we are dealing with is an over-eccentric uh, appetite for profit, not so much justice. If we were all seek justice, um, it would make the world a better place, but not for the privileged. And we always have. And we always will have the haves fighting to keep what they have, the have-nots fighting to get into the have, and then the haves will say, well, the have-nots don't know what to do with it. You know why? Because they haven't been educated by the haves. Yeah. 
The haves won't let the have-nots in the room. It, in order to get um, to be a part of the, the original public option of a company, to buy the stock that you need to become wealthy, because this stuff that we see on, on, on TV right now with Robin Hood and Fidelity and all this kind of stuff, and uh, nobody's going to get rich doing that, because when you buy a stock uh, that's already risen, that means you have to have a lot of money to buy this stock. You can't get rich buying Apple stock. You, if it's $900 a share, you got to have millions to get rich. So the laws are set up in such that at an original public option that you have to have at least $400,000 cash and at least a million dollars net worth to be able to buy into that public option. How many of y'all, I'm talking to black people, know somebody right now in your family that has 400,000 liquid cash plus a million dollars in uh, uh, net worth. So you don't have it. So the game is rigged, so you can't get in. And guess what? If you are smart enough to go to Harvard, you can't go because you can't afford to go. So you're smart enough to go, but you can't go. But your counterpart, who doesn't have the intelligence, but has the money, can have a mother to go write a check and then not only can they be led into school, they can be on the basketball team according to certain lawsuits. So, so we've got an equity problem. We've got an injustice problem. And it is my perspective that by and large, our nation is not ready to solve this issue because there is no compensation in the problem being solved, only in the problem being had and the attempt at solving it. And as long as there is an attempt, as long as we do a commercial during the Super Bowl, you won't take your money from us. So we got, we've got a serious issue, and, and I know a lot of people won't agree with it, but from the perspective that I have, we should all be seeking it, but it is not in the interest of the people who have the equity to solve the problem that we have. You are talking about it, like, for sure, for sure. Um, I mean, I think history teaches us that, right? I mean, look at Nazi Germany, the, the fear that was put into people. These people, these Jews, they're taking this, they're yeah. rivaling your businesses, they're the problem, they're the problem. You know, it, these it was, immigrants was, are gonna take your it jobs. It was what happened at Charlottesville. Yeah. Jews yeah. Yeah. will not replace us. Yeah. That's right. what they were chanting. And, and, and you've got this, now you got Colin Kaepernick, who was ostracized for kneeling to a flag. Those same people stormed the Capitol and burned it. And then, and then pretend as if like, oh, we're yeah. gonna get in trouble? Yeah. I didn't know. What, we, what's I mean, what's what wrong we, with that? And they lived. I didn't know we were doing and anything wrong. They, they stormed and the Capitol and, and they lived. Survived yes. and that thrived. That's the most yes. remarkable part about it, yes. to be quite frank, is that they stormed the Capitol and they lived. And it was on video. Yes. And there were people watching and there were no arrests. Right. There were few arrests. Um, but I wanted to just kind of touch bases on what you said in regard to the people who have the equity to solve many of the problems with injustice are not interested in solving them. And I think that's where we come in with changing what justice looks like and what justice means. I think we saw a lot of that this summer with the protest. Um, when you saw these young people getting involved and you saw these, um, <laughs> I call them woke white people getting involved. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> when you saw them being aware and feeling like, wow, even though this doesn't affect me, I empathize with what's going on and I want to see a change, that's when justice begins to change. Yeah, you, you, so, you, you, capture, you capture the spirit in that statement. I think you capture the part of America that can be salvaged. Because when George Floyd was, was on the ground, and I remember watching this. Remember they painted Black Lives Matter on some of the streets. Mm -hmm. I don't remember what city it was, but it was a white lady 
who came and she, they said, why are you out here marching? She says, because he called for his mama. She says, I'm a mama. I don't care if I'm white or if I'm black. He called for his mother. If there is ever going to be a problem to be solved inside of an oppressed people group, it not only has to be us having the conversation, that problem also gets solved by people outside of that group, coming inside of that group to helping that group survive. And I think that where the onus is on us as African-Americans is that when people come and rescue us, or, or, or come alongside to help rescue us, we cannot forget that other people groups suffer too. And in order for us to receive the help that's necessary, we also have to find out who we can help too. Right. That's good, right. that's good. Uh, Clarence, what do you think? I agree with what he said. Um, I know a lot of times, say like in a barber shop, because I'm, I'm a barber, we have uh, different discussions about uh, racism, you know, the whole George Floyd uh, situation and everything. And from, from my perspective, it's, it's, it's hardening to see how angry, you know, we can get, you know. And it's a shame that we have to, to, have to be driven to this point because of, of the, the injustice. And at the same time, I think that a lot of people will go out and complain and fight about it but then sometimes when we have the opportunity to change it, I don't think that we always uh, capitalize on it when we can. That's good. As far as uh, trying to educate our people, trying to put them in better financial situations, trying to educate them on the court system. A lot of times we just ignore our youth, but at the same time say that they are the future. And so a lot of times I try to, I try to preach to my customers, hey, we understand that there's a system, but the system only works if we participate. That's good. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, Erin, I don't want to cut you off, but what you said is so true. And I know Erica and I talk about this all the time, but one of my pet peeves with our people is that they don't want to participate in jury duty. I mean, I have to beg black people specifically to not eliminate themselves. I'm like, just try. Like, are you, are you even going to try to be on this panel? We need you. We need your perspective. And so when you get in these situations where you have an opportunity to be a voice, yeah. to literally be justice, yeah. you have an opportunity, you complain. You, you say you don't want to be there. And I understand you don't want to miss work. It's an inconvenience for everyone. The best one that I hear often is, nope, I can't do it. Only God can judge them. Nope, I can't. <laughs> I haven't Come heard on. that one before. That's you know, and so, black folks quick to say that. I ain't going to get involved with that man life. That's, that's right. between right. them and God. Yeah, that's between them one and God. The but, things, then you're, but then you're yeah. mad when a jury acquits George Zimmerman. Yeah. And you're mad when these officers get no build. When the officers who killed Breonna Taylor get... Uh, indictment return for killing the neighbor. Right. I mean, you're mad, but you're not doing your part. Right. And so when we have these opportunities, voting, jury duty, take advantage of them. Right. So it's almost safe to say that one of the best weapons against injustice is utilizing the justice that we do have right. for our people. One of the things that, as you said that, you know, even talking about from ministry and coming on board um, with pastor before um, I uh, came to the church, you know, I, I worked in corporate America. One of the things that, uh, that's been instilled in me through my exposure, but it's, it's something that's natural to me, is loving the challenge. People uh, uh, being okay 
uh, with the challenge of going up against something, the mm. challenge of speaking something. That's something that from the leaders at our church is be okay with that is a problem. Be okay with that. One, our, our thing this year is a year of balance. And it's talking about one of the things I took on is the balance of emotions. Because we can get angry about uh, the injustice, but then we'll shy away from it because it's too much. What are you going to lose? I'm going to lose my time. I'm going to lose my position, my status, because th you have to do some things, right? But that challenge of, of being okay with a problem. When corporate America, we know that it can be very one-sided. It can be uh, very... Um, good old boys, all those things, but finding a way to like that challenge and be okay, like, hey, I know this is there. I was told this was there, but do I, can I balance enough a part of me to be okay to say, can I do something different? That's how lawyers come about, because there's something in that say, no, I want to fight for someone. I want that justice to be, a, be there for someone, but we're not okay with any problems. We, we don't want no problems. It's like, hey, it's a problem. I'm gonna cry about it. I'm gonna get mad. I'm gonna go off. But let's, why not like it? Why not like the challenge of knowing I got something in front of me? Let's deal with it. I think you're right, because you bring up the great point. I, yeah, John Lewis had to miss a lot of hours at work when he was marching. And, and, and Martin Luther King had to be missing some Sundays, right? Because in order to help our people, we have to be concerned about the next generation and not the next paycheck, right, or, or the next day. I, I think that you guys represent the best of the world. You've got an attorney and you got a business owner and you, you're on television and you're in corporate America and now you're running a ministry and, and you've got really uh, all of the conduits up here, church, these are the ways in which we can change the world. Legal system, private business, television, ministry. I mean, we, we represent the pillars uh, that can help our community, but we don't have enough of these conversations. Um, and, and, and when we do have those conversations, they are in private places, in homes or in barbershops, not televised, not, not uh, uh, in rotation on social media. And God forbid we were to ask any network to cover this conversation. It's not enough drama. Nobody's bleeding. Right. Nobody's about to die. So how do we get our message out? Uh, I just think you just keep talking. You just keep talking. You keep knocking on the door. And, and eventually, um, a drop on a rock will turn it into sand. It doesn't take a whole lot of power. It does take a lot of consistency. So my encouragement is to each and every one of you and those who are watching, whatever you're doing, um, and, and somebody's going to be tempted to say, oh, I'm doing my part. If you are, we're not talking to you, right? <laughs> if you did do jury duty, we're not talking to you. But those of you all uh, who are not involved in the process, find a crack. Find a crack to crawl in and, and help become a part of this problem because this, this thing is huge. When you skip jury duty, you just let somebody's son down. When you didn't vote, uh, you don't get to talk about how many potholes in the street. Right. You, you don't, you go, those who don't participate shouldn't be able to complain. That's how I look at it. Ooh, talking about pet peeves, that, you know, I come across so many young people who they know the latest dance, they know every single lyric to Cardi B songs, 
They don't know a city, they don't know who their city council person is. Don't even really probably know who the mayor is. Just you know, just not involved and not engaged. Um, Pastor Ken, I got to brag on you for a minute. Kudos to you. Um, one of the many things I love about you is that you are solid as far as you know from a spiritual perspective. But you're you're just so transparent. And so you being you know young and cool and relatable, I think that is you doing your part. That is you in a sense teaching justice and what to do. You're, you people are seeing you like man, he's he's so cool. He's relatable. I don't feel judged by him. I don't feel, you know, I feel like I can go to his church and feel fine. And, and you're not afraid to, to be honest with some of these folks. Like, look, y'all need to be doing this. Or yeah. this is what, you know, here's how you can step up. I think that goes a long way. Yeah, and that's how I was raised. Um, my mother taught me something. She said, if you're ever going to be useful in the world, it's a simple lesson. She said, expect nothing and appreciate everything. I'll never will forget that lesson. Expect nothing, appreciate everything. She said, you're no better than anybody else, but you're no worse than anybody else. So growing up in Gary, Indiana, she didn't have a whole lot. We didn't have a whole lot. But you couldn't tell me that I wasn't equal to the guy whose father drove him to school in the Cadillac and we walked. I just didn't equate uh, efficacy with things. So when people come into our doors, um, I want it to be a place of justice. What's equitable? What's fair? What's right? And anybody on our staff will tell you, I don't go off at all until I find out you treated somebody unfairly. Mm. I, I can take anything. I can take you not doing your job. I can take you being late. I, I can take anything. But when I find out that you have been unjust, I get upset. Might I add, I only learned that I had an affinity for justice, not in seminary, but in therapy. And a lot of black people need therapy. Amen. Amen. This is the most traumatic, post-traumatic, pre-traumatic, future-traumatic, whatever terminology you can come out with. <laughs> By the time we finish with being killed and dying disproportionately to COVID and fouling unemployment and being penalized, overly penalized where we are sentenced to 10 years in prison for the same weed the judge smokes. Okay. Mm. And the prosecutor. And the prosecutor, <laughs> but they got a card. They got a card so that by the time you finish getting pulled over and having a gun drawn on you just because you, you were looking for your license and that must mean it was a gun, by the time you finish with this stuff, you need help. You have to watch it on TV every day. I, PT, PTSD. I, I tell this story all the time. You know, our station asked us after the George Floyd video, you know, what our thoughts were on it. They asked each of the anchors, and I broke down in my video. Mm. I was like, honestly, it sparked PTSD. Anybody who has African lineage, you know, who's been a black American for any period of time has seen it over and over and over. We've seen the black and white photos of the lynchings and no repercussions. We've seen... You know what I mean? People being denied justice for centuries. We were taught the stories by our families. My great, great, great whoever, you know, my dad's father descends from enslaved Africans in Texas. You know what I mean? And so you hear those stories that's passed down. So PTSD, I mean, that's a whole other topic, therapy, okay? People are messed up and, and we need to be able to exhale and really get this, get this stuff talked about. Hey everybody, it's giving time. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, press down shaking together and running over shall men give unto your bosom. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible because it specifically lets me know that if I do A, God will absolutely 
do be. I believe that this is the season for you to absolutely not to have to worry about money problems. This is the season for you to live in the absolute truth that God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. I'm believing for you to have a season of overflow and I want you to connect with us today as we all get ready to give together so that God will be able to open up that window and pour you out a blessing you won't have room enough to receive. All of the instructions on how to do it are coming up on the bottom of the screen right now. This could be the day that changes the rest of your life. If you are faithful over a few things, you read it. God will make you ruler over much. Get ready for much. In fact, I need everybody to type it. Just type much. There you go. I see it coming through there. Say it again. Much. Shout it in your house. Wherever you are watching this, I want you to believe God for much and more. It is the Father's good pleasure that you would enjoy the benefits of the kingdom. As we go back to this conversation, I want you to go back to this conversation filled with joy, knowing that you're going to hear what we have to say. But I want you to hear that small, still voice whispering in your ear, hearing what the Spirit is saying to you right now. It's your time to live in overflow. Check this out. That injustice, Pastor mentioned it in uh, part one about how they said that we're going to spare us from uh, oh, don't even don't bring that up. That, that. They, how don't they were going to us. But it does. It brings you to the injustice of what you're going to choose to show us and make us look at and how we're going to watch that. You showed us George Floyd. You showed us over and over many ways that somebody dies in this country, but you'll spare us. And you showed us how... Uh, our treatment it was it is black and white if we if there if you did not learn on the capital day that it is going to go this way and it is what it is let's deal with it this is how they're going to get treated and this is how you're going to get treated i will show you yours over and over and you're causing me that so we're making a choice to look at that and not say well why did they show me his death over and over and they spared me from that so that injustice you have to pay attention to that's not rocket science. That's not, you don't have to have a college education to look at that black and white. Yeah, when, and when it was true. Black Lives Matter, they said, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Mm -hmm. yes. When they stormed the Capitol, they said, we love you, go home. Yes. Taking right. selfies, okay? Right. Yes. And, and uh, clearly walked yes. up in there and was parlaying for hours, not just for like 10 minutes, I mean hours. Clarence, could you there. imagine being in Nancy Pelosi's <laughs> office and living to tell the story? Man, please. <laughs> <laughs> let, let, that, that, brings, that brings that point. Kind of to let, talk about that. I mean, this is a touchy subject, but, but I'll talk about it because we did have it on our air. It was on national network television. It was on local TV stations. We did have to explore the difference in treatments in terms of protests. The Black Lives Matter protests on the Capitol steps, they had, you know, the National Guard ready, full force, ahead of time. Obviously, you know, we're laughing, but, but really, if you think about what happened at the Capitol, people went into a federally protected building threaten the lives of federally elected leaders, okay? They're running for their lives. And basically overthrew the government in the United States of America, right? So, so kind of give your thoughts on that real quick and then we're gonna go around the horn with another question that I want each answer to. But, but kind of talk about your, your thoughts on that in terms of what that symbolized to you as far as justice. So the day when that happened, I think I did a whole, I had to take a break, regroup, because I was that angry. And then I made a whole post about it because the reality is I see that in court every day. It's white privilege. It is 
by virtue of how you look, you are not perceived to be a threat. Even if you are storming the Capitol, even if you do have weapons, even if you are with a mob, even if you do outnumber the police, you are not a perceived threat. And so it really upset me because it just shows you, listen, this is right here. You're seeing injustice. Don't tell me that I'm making this up in my head. Don't tell me that it doesn't exist when you're seeing it on TV just like me. What you mentioned as far as the media sparing us from the white woman being shot, that upset me too because I, I watched George Floyd with a knee on his neck the entire summer to the point where I don't even want to see the video anymore. And yet you spare us because that's too insensitive. You don't want to disturb your viewers. No, you don't want to disturb your white viewers. Let's be clear. Because as Erica mentioned, we've been watching this forever. The fire hose, the dogs, the the police shooting people. I mean, now we just see it on Instagram. We see it on Facebook. We see it on the news. It's, it's sensory overload. And so it just, it, it really disturbs me that people will still sit here and debate with you mm-hmm. that, no, that's not injustice. They were, they were exercising their right, their right to free speech. What were the protesters doing this summer? I mean, does the constitution only apply to certain people? And so I think that, you know, it's good that, it's not good that it happened, but I think it made a lot of people confront what they did not want to believe was true. Because you can't debate with that. You know, it happened in the exact same place where we saw Trump make a spectacle and bring out the National Guard for a photo op. Same place, same error, different result. Yeah. You know, I think, I think there is um, a need for people inside of a movement to acknowledge when that movement has crossed the line. I think that Black Lives Matter, when it originally started, um, it's, and it still is, I think its genesis about what it wants to accomplish for justice is pure. But when you bring all of the other stuff into it, see if you go online and you read it, then it's once you get the abortion rights and all that stuff in it, then it gets convoluted and the original intent and original message has so expanded that it's impossible for everybody to agree. Let's, let's acknowledge that and burning down restaurants and stores and all of that, police stations, it should never get to that. Same as storming the Capitol and breaking the windows and getting in, there's no need for that. So I think that when we talk about it, I think it's important, especially for those of us who sit in places of privilege, to go on the record and say that we acknowledge that when the movement has crossed the line, that wrong is just wrong. Um, I think it was uh, Jim Clyburn, who's the majority whip for the Democrats, said that the original movement uh, of the days of Andy Young and Dr. King, it was overcome with this slogan, burn, baby, burn. And so they started burning stuff up and it, it, it distracted from the movement. And understand the other side knows, which is why they involved themselves in the behavior that is unacceptable because a lot of the stuff that was getting burned down wasn't black people. It was people posing as African-Americans and posing to be Black Lives Matter. But since they know the game, they get, they get involved in the other side of the behavior that causes us all, all trouble. Same thing happens with those who, who storm the Capitol. But, but once you settle it all down and the rhetoric stops, what you have left is a process that either people don't get involved in or ignorant about And those who know the process use it to their advantage. And then those of us who would have interest in being a part of the process, we can't find a door to get in. We don't have a sponsor. 
You don't, you don't have anybody to tell you what to do. So I think, here's the other part, Adria, you, uh, you get to go into that court system. I think you, you're on television. Myself, if I get an opportunity, I think it's, we have to be like the spies in the days of Israel. We have to go over into the other world, but we got to bring back a report. And we got to come back and tell the people, don't worry about the size of the grapes. Don't worry about the size of the grasshoppers. Don't worry about the size of this, that, and this. Here is what we can do, which is why I believe that in this election cycle, that person was Stacey Abrams. She went over into a world and brought back a report and over 10 years built an apparatus that flipped a state where more Negroes were hung than just about any other state in the union. Tell me, what we're fighting for now is a loss of power. And I say this, and I want to be on the record, and I want you to, uh, to, to chime in. What I think we see in all of this anger, I think we see the same thing in the days of the Roman Empire, the days of the Byzantine, uh, Byzantine Empire, the days of the Babylonian, Roman, Byzantine, Spanish, German. What we see is people recognizing that the end of an era has come. And whenever power has been lost, people lose their mind. And some white people have found out that other white people ain't with them no more. That we not going for that anymore. We're going to seek justice. People's conscience are pricked. And the scripture said in 1 Chronicles 7, 14, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, seek my face, then will I hear from heaven. So I think that we are, even though we are a long way to go, I don't want us to lose fact that we've come a long way and that, that we are on the right track. And yes, they're going to, but we don't, want, we don't want trouble, like you said, but it's, as John Lewis said, it's good trouble. It's good trouble. Good trouble. I'd ha I did an Instagram live recently with um, Nelson Mandela's grandson, someone who I interviewed years ago and who obviously has a very um, knowledgeable and global perspective. But as far as the capital stuff and everything we've seen in the past couple of years, he said, no, this needed to happen. America needed to have a revival and, an, and a reckoning of what everybody else saw. We know what y'all look like. Y'all don't know within yourselves that you're so divided and hate-filled and, and, and denying each other justice and so on and so forth. So this is a fresh start. This is a new beginning that hopefully y'all take advantage of. Yeah. And, and like you said, like I don't condone violence or right, tearing up people's stuff, but I'll be honest, Pastor. I did not flinch when I saw Target being burnt down in Minnesota because I understood why it was being People burnt down. Yeah. And I think it was frustrating because I'm like, you're more mad about what's in that Target yeah. than you are yeah. about black bodies being killed for no reason every week is what it was seeming like at that time. So, and I saw it in Houston when I was out at the protest, like these kids are frustrated. Yeah. They have been silenced their entire lives. They have not ever had a platform to speak on. They've never been on a stage like this. You know, they don't, they don't know who to talk to. They don't know who city council is. They don't even know you can speak at city council just by signing up. And so when you are silenced and you don't have a voice, this is what the result is. You know, you're tearing up a bus. Come here, why are you tearing up this bus? I had to ask some. why are you standing on this bus? Get off this bus. Like, yeah. this is a crime, you know? Yeah. And because we're mad, I'm like, okay, but... But what does this solve? Well, they're paying attention to us. And that's really what it was all about. Yeah, they went about it the wrong way. But when you don't 
come from a place of privilege where someone can make you feel like your voice matters, that is the result. Yeah, I think Martin Luther King said that writing is the, is the uh, language of the frustrated or the disenfranchised, I, and I absolutely agree with you. I understood why. Um, but I also think in the discourse needs to be that even though I understand why, I won't accept it. And I'll say, I'll say to that young man, hey, uh, okay, strike one. But listen, there is a different way. And, and the pen is mightier than the sword. Uh, when, when civil rights was given to African Americans, they were burning stuff in those days. But it was, it was Martin Luther King in the office with Lyndon Johnson, the pen. That, that ended uh, a Jim Crow era. And so it's, it, I guess it's both and, right? It, it, it gets to a place, but the pen, I, I, will, I, I know a lot of people disagree. Uh, from every spectrum, I think the pen is always mightier than the sword. And even though it does get them to pay attention, it does get them to pay attention. But here's the problem. That target was in your neighborhood. That gas station was in your neighborhood. So after you get their attention, now you're going to have to go to their neighborhood to shop. And that's where the money is. Now, now the person who got the attention got the money. And the person who got the money got the intentions. So, so while I understood why, and I was never, ever um, for it, but I did understand it. And I wanted to make it clear that I did understand it, but I just could never be for it because I think that there is. It just has to be. Um, another way. So, you know, you got one grocery store, you burn it down, then what you gonna right. do? Now y'all yeah. gotta go get on the bus to go somewhere else for some folks. I mean, right. really. Where right? your dollar is gonna turn around in their neighborhood. Right. right. Now you're not recycling and they're still those got dollars the power. in your neighborhood. And, and, and I think a big thing, too, is that a lot of, especially uh, the youngsters, they don't know the difference between, in some cases, being courageous and being a coward. Right. Because sometimes <laughs> we have the conversation, like, if they're gonna get pulled over, I've literally had to like, you know, school some cats like this is how you, you know, handle yourself when you're pulled over. Right. So you won't have to reach for it when, they, when you see the lights, when they you know they're pulling you over, already have your license and stuff out. And it's basically just trying to uh, provide a strategy to avoid, you know, the conflict or the confrontation because we are already emotionally disturbed, you know, based, I mean, and rightfully so, you know what I'm saying? And I know that that's why uh, uh, so many people ran out to destroy stuff. But then my thing is, where's that energy when it's time to sit down and have a conversation yeah. where we can, we can actually have some order and show them our intelligence, our, our anger behind our intelligence mm -hmm. instead of leading, showing them how, how angry we can be, how we can destroy stuff. No, no, we can sit down and have an intellectual conversation on how to build this thing and I can show you where you're wrong because one of the biggest offenses to us is the pride that they take in doing us wrong. You know what I'm saying? So that's, that, that makes it even much worse. And you bring in laws. Pastor, you also mentioned about like when people are hurt, things come out. When, mad, when uh, mothers are getting drunk drivers, when they're hurt, when um, you have all those things, but they t stop and then go start making laws. You talk about the laws against bullying on when your child dies because somebody bullied them over the internet. It now, when you're in that pain, that's pain. A law comes out of pain. Things change out of pain. Those probably were mostly just average mothers. Yeah, maybe privileged, but you probably had some, but taking that time to say, okay, what law can we start doing behind George Floyd? What law can we start doing behind Breonna Taylor? What, where do we start with making our law, our, what, what 
pains us? Where do we start writing, putting on pen like MLK did? Because that's how it starts shifting in the changes of writing, getting inside that world, finding the balance of our emotions so we can see the other side. Um, one time I remember being in, um, when I worked at uh, GE, they had infinity groups. And when I came on, they were in the era of teaching uh, blacks how to pro progress in corporate America. And so when I came on, they said, hey, I don't need you in no braids. You know, don't wear no dookie braids, no little braids, no mini braids. We got a plan <laughs> right now. This is what we're doing. I was like, well, I ain't in the braids, but you know, is my weave gonna be a problem? So, um, when they when they came when they were doing that they were saying we need to teach them so they can let us in we 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 have a right to be on the executive boards and be a part of this so then uh i was at one of their affinity groups where they're teaching and they say hey we got to teach them to stop asking questions like how you get your hair straight now why is that a question from how you get your let me touch yeah. it let me touch it yeah, let me touch it. yeah. Can, I, can i touch your hair can i touch, yeah. Your yeah. Hair? touch it yeah I, and so you get to they made a, an affinity group for blacks so we can talk that through because that can you know then you get the neck rolling in, in the, in the, what you in mean? the room can I, right. so i gotta learn how to respond to that so then uh i remember jack welch with three days of learning everything but he said two things that took took me to say how i get in he said, you need a sponsor and a mentor. Gotta have it. I, I don't gotta care. I ain't it. learned nothing else. Oh, that's all I need? I got it. You gotta and have somebody. And then you learn, because you can process that. Okay, that means I need a homeboy and a home. You know, I need somebody who can relate to me. And if I can figure out how to do that, then I can be guided into some steps where I don't know. I don't know the rules. So let me attach somebody who might have the empathy that doesn't look like me to help me learn some rules to this game that I did not get privileged to. So it's us taking that step back to say, hey, yes, that anger is there. You have every right, but there's some rules to this that we got to figure out how to make some new rules, new laws, and take the time to do it. And we got to work harder because I'm a comedy guy. I love watching comedy. Man, do you all remember when Chris Rock had that set and he said, that he lives in one of the richest neighborhoods in New Jersey. And he lives in this neighborhood and Chris Rock is one of the most, if not the most compensated, uh, highly compensated uh, comedians in our generation, if not of all time. And he said next door to him, his next door neighbor is a dentist, an ordinary common dentist. He says that shows you how hard black people got to work. Because in order for me to live next door to a dentist, I got to be the best comedian in the world. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the kind of drive and sponsorship that we got to teach young African-American people. And that's what I talk. Somebody got to go in to Canaan and spy out the land and come back and tell them. That's what a sponsor is. That, that's all Joshua and Caleb, uh, Moses and Caleb. All of those, they were just sponsors. They just had an opportunity to go in, Joshua and Caleb, and come back and give them a, a minority report. Because remember, the other eight gave up because of the size of what they saw, because of the disenfranchisement, because of how difficult it was, because it was too hard. But somebody who's made it, we, we as a people, the first hurdle is making it. Then the second hurdle is making sure somebody else does. You, we got to go and get them right where they are. I've done police rides where, uh, you know, you know, ride-alongs. The first, last one I did, the first call 
was a murder. Somebody got shot in the head. And I walk there, and, and I see this man's on the ground, shot in the head, and I was with Captain Freeman at the time, and we're driving along, and now they got to go into the apartment and search and try to find the gun. Now, I'm in regular clothes. I got on a plastic lanyard that said volunteer. They thought I was the FBI. They was like, oh, so you the man, man. This brother done made it. This brother done made it. You, you, you the man. You, I'm here. I ain't got no gun. I ain't got no baton. I'm already already got a smell problem. So when I walked in the house, I almost threw up because I couldn't take it. It was the house was filthy, food on the ground, bugs everywhere. I couldn't imagine anybody sleeping in that house. And I looked around that entire complex and it wasn't nobody but us. They didn't even know to look at volunteer because all they saw was that plastic lanyard must mean I'm, I'm top flight security of the world, Craig. Like, you know, and, and no, no knowledge. And that's key, Pastor. You know, my dad always gives me this analogy. My dad is full of analogies. Man, he's wanted to sit down and talk with, but he's, he, he talks about how important it is for us to pull people up and give the knowledge. He says, Leroy can get an interview, you know, at, on the top floor in the penthouse, but if Leroy don't know how to navigate through that interview, what, what, what's that gonna do? So you gotta apply both, you know, and I just hope and pray that this generation doesn't lose the ends to the means. I've had the privilege mm. of interviewing Andy Young, one of the civil rights greats, as I was telling Pastor Keon, you know, on, on a water cooler, just, you know, in the middle of a hot summer day in Florida where he once marched in that city. But what they did in that particular city in St. Augustine, Florida, was they met at, at different people's homes and had a strategic plan. And they knew that if they did this last thing, that might be just what was needed. And it was. It was a famous photo on the cover of Time magazine that shows an old motor lodge or something in St. Augustine, Florida. Some black kids tried to swim in the pool and the owner of the lodge came and poured acid in it. It was on the cover of Time magazine. What they did that summer in St. Augustine, Florida, hot, sticky, helped push Time magazine, helped push the coverage, and LBJ signed the Civil Rights Act of 1964. You know, it, so I just hope that what we're doing makes sense, right? Yes, folks are angry. Yes, people are mad about injustice. But what is really the strategy and the end result to get laws changed, to get hearts and minds changed, to create? For me, I, I try to always do things with compassion and empathy. When I tell a story about, oh, well, such and such in the hood just got killed, I try to go and talk to everybody. Where's mom? Where's best friend? Where's the teacher? What did he like to do? I try to humanize as much as possible. But I think it's going to take all of us in our different positions and our different platforms to try to, you know. Here's the picture that now I think when you talk about all the pictures you've seen well, you know because you you talk to young people and it's like oh I, I want to do all that you know and, and look this is the first time now you see this generation now looking like the other in marches in the first time for me just saying you didn't have that that bridge this is the bridge I think where now you ha you can look like what you saw and didn't understand or respect because you said they bowed down in a way you don't think you could have bowed down. So now you have a bridge right now where now I have pictures of my son and daughters walking and fighting for something now that looks like 1960s. Here's the bridge now. Now you look like me. Now you can understand what we, what we were fighting for, well, how, how you even got here today even though the fight is not over even you we still like we're still in the same place but now you can we look alike here's the bridge now because now we march together because most kids had never marched for something mm -hmm. when you, who you think about your child had never marched for something here is that bridge now 
because now we, we have a generation now that looks like what you almost sometimes couldn't understand because it wasn't all the story wasn't already told to you my grandparents didn't always sit down and tell me what they had to fight for and how many doors they had to go through from a back way it wasn't always passed down but here's that bridge now and now is a good time also to get involved and be on these boards and especially if you have a little bit of clout like apply for the position apply for the board position run for office i mean do what it takes because we need people in those high positions. And I think, especially right now when black women, it's very clear, black women, no, no shade for Pastor and Clarence, mm-hmm. but you need us to win. Period. And I mean, that has been become very clear. So, hey, me and Clarence period. know that. <laughs> period. Listen, and, and I you mean, never heard us say, we don't need y'all. Listen, we want you. Oh, that's <laughs> not, that, we're not going to make that a No, yeah. we don't. Okay. <laughs> I mean, we love y'all, but it's, you know, right. black so, girl magic. Black women, like, it's very clear, like, we are a commodity. We are an asset right now to the world. And I think when we pitch ourselves in those on those board positions, hey, you need us. You want to talk about not, diversity? You're not a commodity now. You always have been facts, yeah. but now, been. but now people <laughs> see now people it. know it. Said, okay. facts, Let's be clear. Facts, now, now facts, people, facts, now facts. people. Let me put, let me put my lawyer voice back <laughs> on. Me, me oh, hey, that, that, hey that, that other side coming out of that lawyer. You seen that? <laughs> me and Adrian did the that, same thing at the same time. <laughs> can I tell you all something? That that's room, sitting <laughs> up here right now, you're talking about Andy Young. And, and you're talking about the people you come in contact with. What I don't know if any of you understand that black history is being made now. That in order for women to be able to vote, a young black female lawyer had to go all the way to the Supreme Court. And, and one of the best movies of all time, Coming to America, and thank God number two is getting ready to come out. <laughs> but do you know how many conversations that changed the world between Dr. King and, 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 and uh, Reverend uh, Jesse um, uh, Jackson and, and, and Andy Young and Harry Belafonte? That stuff happened in barbershops yeah. and churches. And, and if it wasn't for um, a Soledad O'Brien shattering... Um, a norm and been an African-American female sitting behind the camera and if it wasn't somebody who went into corporate America and brought the sensitivity of a Six Sigma trained certified person into ministry to give people hope and while we're pointing backwards I hope you also recognize that there's somebody in front of you that one day will be pointing back to you that the veracity at which you work will determine our black history, the story that's actually told. Don't just skip back and talk about those who helped build what you do. Also recognize that you are in position now to be on this wall in 40 years, that they could be talking about you. You are the ones we're waiting for. And if it were not people like you, then there would not be any people like you now. You are exactly what the world is looking for. And please don't forget it. Mm, that's good. I, I, you know, I'm always, and anybody who's had a conversation with me, I'm quick to probably deflect off me. I, I sometimes don't see what people see, but, you know, Andy Young in that same conversation, Charlie said, uh-uh, 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 you have to do your part. 
That's period. Right. I don't think sometimes we realize the gravity of our positions or that little girls watching me. I, I get messages all the time. You know, my daughter, she, she's eight years old. She's a young black girl. She saw you and was like, mommy, you know, and you just don't think about that. But you have to kind of play that role. I want to ask, and each of you can look in the camera and answer this um, in terms of justice. Talk about a specific example, whether it's justice or injustice that kind of, you know, resonated with you. It could have been made you upset, or it could have been something that you were proud of, saying, you know what, the right thing was done. I was so happy for that moment. So yeah, y'all look in the cameras and... Well, I gave my story on week one. I'll go back into my childhood. Um, I grew up without a father in, in my life. I did have one memory with him. Um, we were in Arkadelphia, Arkansas, and he swears that Arkansas was the only state in the Bible. I always would say to him, uh, how's Arkansas in the Bible? He, he looked at me and he said, because the Bible says Noah looked out to Arkansas. He loved, <laughs> he loved where it came from. And uh, we went to one of the best restaurants in the country uh, called Waffle House. It's a delicacy. And uh, we walk in the Waffle House and the lady says to him, we don't serve N-words here. She just flat out said it. Uh, in my lifetime, isn't that crazy? In my lifetime, she said, we don't serve N-words here. And my father looked at that lady with all of the grace that any man could do, and I never will forget the response. He says, um, that's good because we don't eat them. <laughs> hmm. He said, that's good because we don't eat them. And by the time they finished having the conversation, the meal was paid for by them and we were uh, allowed to stay in. For me, it showed me that you don't have to always negatively respond to ignorance. Right. That black people, while we're angry, we still better have some kind of class. You gotta have class. Michelle Obama said it this way, she says, when they go low, we go high. And that's not always easy, but it's always necessary. Right. It's always necessary, so that's, that's my little story. Hey everybody, I hope you enjoyed that riveting conversation. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you chose to be with us, and we appreciate that. This is the end of this conversation and this dialogue, but this is not a one-off. We're going to do this all month, so make sure that you schedule to be with us at this exact time every Tuesday, and I promise you it's going to get greater later. Until then, I love you, and ain't nothing you can do about it. Listen, we have created a way for all of you all to connect with us online, whether you live in the city of Houston, out of the city of Houston, whether you're in another country, we've created a platform called Lighthouse 2.0. And it is nothing more than my way of connecting to you wherever you are. So right now they're getting ready to put a link up on the screen and you're gonna be able to go to that link, to that place, and say you wanna be a part. Come check us out, we got a lot that we've given and we got a lot more for you. I cannot wait to see you at 2.0.